Palm Knot. According to the city limits sign we see when we drive into town, Palm Knot, Georgia, is the hidden jewel of the South without a U. Mom says that it used to be the hidden jewel of the South with a U before the wind and ocean air swept away the paint from the U. When I think of jewels, not often, I think of bright, sharp, polished things. But driving through Palm Knot, everything I see is kind of drooping and faded and flat, more like an ocean pebble that's been washed smooth over a lot of years. As we turn on the main street, my butt cheek starts to cramp up again. I've been leaning against the car door for the past few hours, trying to keep as much distance as I can between me and Roddy. But now I shift my weight and accidentally bump my knee into his. The rattle of his breath suddenly stops. His eyes flash open and he jerks his leg away from mine as if he's afraid I might be carrying some highly contagious disease. He looks at me in disgust. He doesn't say anything, but I can read the words flashing through his eyes. Watch it, freak. I don't flinch. I'm used to this now. Roddy hasn't spoken to me since the day I tried to run away. For the third time. That first night, when I found the bill that Mrs. Reed must have dropped on her way into the house, I only made it to South Station before a police officer stopped me. Apparently, a twelve-year-old hanging around the bus station alone in the middle of the night is suspicious. But the second time I ran, I was smarter about it. I looked up the bus times in advance, I made it to the station for a mid-afternoon bus, and I got on behind a middle-aged woman who could have been mistaken for my mother. And it worked. That time, I almost got to Casey. Almost. That's why I knew I had to try one more time. I waited for my chance, for the first opportunity when Mom and Dad would leave me home with just Roddy. And then I ran again. I only got halfway down the block before someone jerked my shoulder back, making me trip over my own feet and fall to the pavement. Roddy was right about everything he said that day. I know that now, but I don't have to tell him that. You boys awake back there? Mom calls from the front seat. Roddy grunts and pulls his Boston College hat down lower over his eyes. Doing okay, Ethan? Mom has started saying my name the way she placed the teetering stacks of her best china into boxes back in Boston. Carefully, slowly, like she's afraid of breaking something fragile and precious. I nod. We're almost home, she says. Roddy glares out the window. This place isn't home, it's a dump. He has a point. The porches of the houses all sag like giant hammocks. Trees grow crooked and claw-like out of the sandy soil. The narrow roads are rough and lumpy, and even the ocean water looks clouded and gray, like the bay is filled with lead. Your Grandpa Ike needs us here, Roddy, Mom says, turning around to face us. We need you to stay positive, please. This is a fresh start for all of us. Roddy's eyes narrow into little pools of ice, and he aims a kick at the console between the two front seats. Stop lying! 
We don't even know Grandpa Ike. He's your own father and you barely even talk about him. Roddy, Dad barks. Don't start again. That's enough. Just enough. It's been a long drive. But Roddy's right about this, too. Mom and Dad announced we were moving here the day after my third attempt at running away. They said we all needed a change of scenery. I guess it shouldn't have come as such a surprise. This is the only place they could move us to get me away from Boston, since Grandpa Scott lives just a few streets down from our old house, and it's not like Mom and Dad could afford to just buy a new place somewhere. They've been telling anyone who will listen that we're moving to Palm Knot so we can help Grandpa Ike, who's getting up there in years. I pretend to believe them, but I know they're lying. We didn't move so we could help Grandpa.